0: Welcome to Episode 3 of The Kingdom and the Power, a podcast dedicated to helping listeners reimagine the world, life, and faith from a distinctly Christian perspective. I'm your host, Josh Robinson. I'm the church planter and the pastor of New Haven Church in Chapmanville, West Virginia. And on today's episode, we're going to be discussing how to live as a traditional Christian in a secular age. Now, to begin our episode today, what is it that I exactly mean by a traditional Christian. That's not a, a phrase that we typically hear very often. Most people don't refer to themselves as a traditional Christian, right? And why is this conversation that we're having today important? Well, to begin, basically what I mean by tradition traditional Christian is this. A traditional Christian is one who is engaged with the traditional life theology, worldview, philosophy, and rhythms of the church. So I would kind of illustrate it this way. If you were to uh, see a traditional Christian today, uh, if you were to compare them with their ancient counterpart, uh, a Christian from say 500 to a thousand years ago, you would see some major similarities. Right? Of course there would be differences, Um, We live in an entirely different culture and and world as to where, uh, compared to where our ancient ancestors were. But um, there would be some major similarities. You would see major similarities in terms of how they live life, right? They're living it... um, before the face of God and to His glory. Um, you would see major similarities between their theology, uh, the things that they hold to be true about God. You would see major sim- similarities uh, in the way that they view the world, um, and the way that they view philosophy even, and you would even see them engaging in the very same rhythms that their ancient counterparts um, engaged in as well. So that's what I would mean by traditional Christian um, it's it's someone who is who has continuity with the historic church that's that the uh, the traditional church and so why is it that I think that this conversation is important? Well, I mainly think that this conversation is important because we are currently living in a world and in a culture that has, for lack of better words, just lost its mind. Um, I'm not sure if you keep up with the news, and if you didn't, I wouldn't blame you. But we are living in an age where we have pretty much, at this point, descended into chaos. Um, and unfortunately, uh, this is even true in the church. Um, we we have major issues in the church and um, as, a, as a Christian living in this age it's, it's, and as a pastor living in this age, it's very clear to me that the way that we are viewing the world, life and faith for the most part isn't from a distinctly Christian perspective. Um, we, have, we have had worldly ideologies that have seeped into the church and that has affected the way that we view the world. Uh, the way that we view our life and the life of others and and our faith and and so I think that because of that because that is the backdrop against which we are living, it is uh, is necessary for us to talk about today what it looks like to to live as a traditional Christian and maybe talk about some steps or some starting places um, so that we could. Uh, recover or recapture what it looks like to live as a traditional Christian in a secular age. And so that's what we're doing today. That's how I would define our categories today. So I'm going to start off with our first way to live as a traditional Christian in a secular age, and that is by finding a solid local church. Uh, so as I said earlier, a traditional Christian is one who is in continuity with the, the historical church, right? And, and this is something that is—this uh, is a mark of what it looks like to be a, a Christian, to, to find and to be plugged into a solid local church. And, and here's what I would say that we should be looking for in a local church— you should be looking for a church that holds to creedalism and confessionalism. And, and basically what I mean by that is that they believe that the historic creeds and confessions of the church are necessary. And they use th- those as guiding documents in the life of their church. I'm thinking about creeds and confessions, such as uh, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, um, the Chalcedonian Creed, uh, those those types of creeds. The, the, what we refer to as the three ecumenical creeds of the church. Um, those things define what the... The Christian faith looks like uh, what the apostolic faith looks like. Looks like, and it, it talks about things like theology proper and, and Christology and, and pneumatology, which is basically what I mean by that. Is it talks about what God, who God is, who Christ is, and who the Spirit is, and and what they have done, and and so, um, and also in terms of confessionalism, what I mean, what I mean is this: you're looking for a church that that holds to things such as perhaps, um, you know, Anglican churches hold to, say, the 39 Articles. That's a confession of faith. Um, Presbyterians and and most Reformed folks hold to uh, what's called the three forms of unity or perhaps the Westminster Standards, the Westminster Catechism and the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, Even Baptists like ourselves hold to, um, in some form, to, the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. And so what that does whenever you find a church that is that holds to, to the creeds and the confessions is basically what they're saying is we are in continuity with the historic church, right? As we said, these things are ancient. These are things that the church has always believed and, and held to. And, and whenever a church takes the creeds and the confessions seriously, that's what they're saying. They're saying that we are in continuity with the ancient church. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. Right? We're, we are are we we believe what Christians have always believed, and uh, we're not doing ministry in a vacuum here. We're not trying to recreate the wheel. So I would say that that's a very important thing uh, to, to look for in a local church. And I would say that if you can't find a church that is creedal or confessional, um, I would say start looking around somewhere. Uh, you may have to drive to one. Uh, you may even have to move to one, uh, move move away to find one. And I think that that's a a necessary and legitimate thing. And so I would say that the next thing um, to look for in a, so, a, a solid local church is that they have a reverent liturgy and worship. And basically what I mean by, by that is this. Um, you're not going to the local church that has uh, – smoke machines and and lasers and hazers and the whole light show and and, and all that. Uh, what I'm saying here is that um, the church that you should be looking for does things in an orderly way, in a way that the church has always done whenever it comes to their worship. And they're singing things like uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Um, you know, Paul talks about in his letters in the New Testament, he, he actually commands uh christians to 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 sing in their hearts and make melody in their hearts with psalms hymns and spiritual songs and i think that's something that's kind of been lost in our culture today is and we've we've replaced it with you know big band worship bands and uh you know, it's, it's all about the worship experience now, uh, where it's kind of like, it's me, it's about me, and it's about my experience and my personal relationship with Jesus. And, and you see that reflected in things, for example, like you walk into a building and the lights are out, right? And you, you can't even see the person next to you. And usually the music is so loud that you can't even hear Anyone singing except for yourself, and, and the reason why it's like that is very intentional, right? It's like we've bought into this uh, mod, very modern idea that worship is about me and and my relationship with God, and and in reality, that's not how the historic church has viewed things like worship. It's not, that's not how they viewed things like liturgy. They've they've the historic church has always said that it's not about us. It's about Christ, and as His body, we come together to proclaim His excellencies, and we do that obviously through various ways. We do it through things like uh, call to worship. We do it through the confession of sin. Uh, we do it through the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We we uh, pr- prayers, uh, the preaching of the word, the partaking of the Lord's supper. Um. You know the baptism, the sacraments, um, the the benediction at the end of the service. Those are historical forms that the church has always recognized as uh, as legitimate worship. Um, and so, I don't think again this come kind of comes back to reinventing the will, right? We, there's no need for us to reinvent the will. The 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 church has always used these uh, forms, and so. That's what we ought to, as people who want to be traditional Christians, that's what we ought to look for. And, um, yeah, so that's that's what I would say on uh, looking for a reverent liturgy and worship. Um, and also, I guess I would add to that as well, that um, these are things that aren't just, um, we thought that the the church thought would be good elements to, to add in uh, to their worship. These are things that are, uh, commanded in Scripture, right, to speak to one another and to sing in your hearts with uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. To confess your sins to one another, to preach the word, right. Be ready in season and out of season. I mean, there are commands in Scripture that give us a give us the way that we ought to be worshiping. And so, look for a church that that believes that and that has a reverent liturgy and worship. The next thing I would say in looking for a solid local church is look for qualified men who are doing expository preaching. And so notice that I I started that off by saying qualified men, right? And so what I mean by that is exactly what I mean by that. Look for a church where there are men in the pulpit, right? The Bible is very clear about who it is that should be preaching in the Sunday gathering on the Lord's Day, right? It is qualified men. And so look for a church that have qualified men who, are, who meet the qualifications laid out in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and who are preaching through the Word book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and they're doing that throughout the entirety of the Bible. That's what expository preaching is. Look for a church that is doing this because here's why. Expository preaching is a, is a great thing because not only does it expose uh, the people of God to the Word of God in the text, but it also um, helps us to see all of God's Word in its fullness. And so basically, here's what I mean. Whenever you're doing expository preaching and you, and you take expository preaching seriously in your local church, that means that your pastor and the person preaching can't skip over verses that they don't like, right? And we've all been to churches before where somebody reads a verse, and you know that there's a, a, a hard verse or a controversial verse coming right after that, and then they stop before they get to it, and then they never say anything about it. Well, expository preaching, whenever you put uh, preach book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, it... it keeps us from doing things like this. It makes us address hard topics in the Scripture that need to be addressed, and it it holds us accountable. The Word of God holds holds us accountable. So look for qualified men who are doing expository preaching. Um, Also, look for a church that has a strong church life or church community. I can't stress how important this one is, and basically what I mean by that is, uh, look for a church where the people there, that body, are are being the body together, right? Uh, where they're in the community and they are filling that community uh, with the with Christ, and not only that, but they're they're living together in community. They know one another, they love one another, they're fulfilling the one another commands that we see in Scripture, and they're. They're living life together. That's a very important thing. Uh, years ago, whenever my wife and I first uh, became Christians, uh, we went to a local church for several years where, and this isn't me you know, talking badly about another local church or anything like that. Uh, this is just kind of our experience. And so keep that in mind. But we were a part of a local church in our area where there was just no church life. And at the time, we didn't really realize how important this was. But You know, we went there for several years, three or four years maybe, and after looking back at it, at our experience there, I realize now that I literally knew no one that we went to that local church with. Uh, Like, I I, I never, we we never had anyone there in that local church over to our home, or we were never invited over to someone else's home. Um, You know, the only time that we ever saw one another was on Sundays, and so it was as though we didn't really know one another. And so, um, but since we've planted our, our church here in, in Logan County, West Virginia, one of the things that we've seen here is, you know, people getting together on a weekly basis, gathering together in homes, reading the word together, praying for one another, just being friends with one another, hanging out with one another, right? Um, that's a very, very important thing um, because we're, we're called to, to live in life and in community with one another. And uh, God, as I said earlier, God gives us commands for us to do with one another. And the only way that you can fulfill those one another commands is if there is a strong church community. So find a local church that has a strong church community. Uh, The the last last point on the local church part is look for a church that uh, takes membership seriously and church discipline seriously. Um, most churches that you go to nowadays are do not like things like church discipline, um, and it's usually something that's highly avoided because uh, people are afraid of being meanie heads and you know all of that kind of stuff. But um, but find a church that takes membership and church discipline seriously. And here's why: uh, whenever a church takes membership and church discipline seriously, that means that they're going to take uh, your growth, and shepherding you uh, seriously. They're, as a member of a church that, that takes these things seriously, they're going to care for you. They're going to make sure that you are growing, and they're going to make sure that you're not in some serious sin that is going to damage you or your family or is going to put your soul in jeopardy. And that's what that's what church discipline's there for, right? Like whenever someone is in unrepentant sin, what you are saying to them is, this isn't okay there there needs to be repentance here and so we're going to enact church discipline and so you know I, I, like I said, most people think that church things like church discipline today are, are mean and you know all of that but that really they're not they're they're actually a grace um, and God's speaking to us in church discipline. Um, And usually it's he's calling us to repentance. And so find a church that takes membership and shepherding their people well seriously and and that takes church discipline seriously as well. So the second point that we'll look at today on what it looks like to live as a traditional Christian is to catechize yourself and your family. Now, some of you listening to this may say, Do what? What does catechize mean? What what does that mean and, and why is that important? And so, cate- catechize um, comes from the word catechesis, okay? And catechesis is basically a form of religious instruction. So the instruction is usually based on a book or a document known as a catechism, uh, which usually contains a summary of principles, especially of religious doctrine, um, often, and it's often in the form of questions and answers, um, so one of the the uh, you know most famous examples of that is uh, you know found in the Westminster Catechism and the Baptist Catechism, and the question is who is the first and chiefest of beings? That's the question. And the answer is God is the first and chiefest being. So that's what a catechism is, and so basically what it's doing is it's giving you teaching you theology. And it's doing it through the form of questions and answers. Now, this is important for a few reasons. The first reason why catechesis, catechizing yourself and your family, is important is because it's biblical. So in the Bible, we find a Greek word which is catecheo, And it literally means to teach orally or to instruct. Now, this word catecheo is found in passages such as Luke 1 and 4 and 1 Corinthians 4 and 19. Uh, Paul uses the term and the concept in Galatians 6.6 6, when he says, Let him who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. And so also in, in Acts chapter 18, verse 25, Paul says to Apollos, he says that that Apollos was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures, and that he had been instructed, or catecheo, in the way of the Lord. So as we see here, catechesis, catecheo is where we get the word catechism from, or catechesis, or catechize. that's where it comes from is this Greek biblical word. So as we see here, that is a to to teach someone the, the Scriptures, to make them competent in the Scriptures and in doctrine and, and instructing them in the way of the Lord. That is a very biblical idea. And so that's the first reason why it's important. Now, the second reason why it's important is because it's historical, right? Like, it, it, this, is, this is a historical way of teaching the faith to oneself and the family. I mean, if you look back through church history and even some of uh, certain uh, church traditions today, there is such a thing where someone is called a catechumen. um, And basically what that means is they are going through the process of catechesis. They are being catechized or taught, um, instructed, so that they can become a member. And so uh, this this is the way that the church has always basically been passing down the faith, Since the time of the apostles and almost every denomination and tradition has used this form um, of catechesis for religious education for Christian children and adults. So, for example, Lutherans have what's called Luther's smaller catechism. And we've, we've read that for years in our home. And we're not Lutherans, but we found it very helpful. And we've actually used all of these that we're going to talk about. And so Presbyterians and, and Reformed use, for example, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the Westminster Larger Catechism, and um, even the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, so Baptists, like us, we're, we're Baptist, use uh, a couple different ones. There's Keech's Catechism which is basically a Baptist version of the Heidelberg Catechism that we just now spoke about. And then there's what we're using in our church right now, which is called the Baptist Catechism. I'm kind of implementing that into our preaching in some ways. Uh, Catholics even have a catechism called the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Anglicans, if you're part of that tradition, they have the Catechism from the Book of Common Prayer. So as you see, this is the traditional way that denominations and various church traditions pass on what they believe and why they believe it to their, their themselves and their children. And so that's the the second point is to catechize yourself, pick up one of these catechisms. Uh, if you're Presbyterian, find the Westminster or the Heidelberg if you're Baptist, look at the Baptist catechism, right? If you're a Lutheran look at, look at Luther's smaller catechism. Uh, also there is a, a modern option. Which, and I'm usually not a big time fan of modern stuff, but we have used this in our church in some ways. Uh, We used to we used to do it on uh, the Lord's Day, and we used it for a little while, and then we ended up stopping. But uh, a good modern option for a catechism is the New City Catechism, and it's a great starting point if you're looking for uh, kind of a modern ancient modern uh, take on uh, catechesis. And so you can find that you can download that in your app store if you have a phone. Uh, You just type in New City Catechism. It's on, as far as I know, it's on all smart devices, and uh, also there's a hard hardback copy that you can learn or buy that has a devotional with it, and uh, there's paperback versions out there as well. But if you're interested in catechizing yourself and your family, that's I would recommend that you probably start there. New City Catechism is a great way to get your foot into that, or um, also any of the other ones that we just now mentioned as well. You can mostly find those for free. Uh, about anywhere on the web, too. So, The third point is recover the law of God in the Ten Commandments as the ethical standard of all of life. Now, this one might take some folks by surprise, but I think that this one is very, very important, uh, and here's why. If we just recover... The law of God, as the unchanging standard of what equity, justice, truth, and goodness looks like in society, we avoid so much of the things ailing us in our modern world today. Right, I'm, I'm just going to I'm going to walk you through the two, the Ten Commandments real quick, and just and just kind of talk about some of this. Right, if we recover the first and the second commandments, we recover worshiping Yahweh reverently not making images of him and we've avoid so many of the abuses in worship today in evangelicalism and and like that's me saying that as a pastor who is who pastors a church that is in evangelicalism like so I'm not just you know talking about folks here this is, I'm talking about my own tribe here like if if we recover the first and the second commandments we're going to recover that reverent worship of of our god and we're not going to fall into many of the, the crazy things that we're seeing in evangelicalism, right? If we, We're going to avoid making images of him. We're going to avoid doing things that he's not commanded us to do, right? This is what these commandments talk about, like not worshiping Yahweh in a way that he hasn't commanded, right? That's going to immediately eliminate things like fog machines and hazers and lasers, Right. So that's it's very important. If we just recover those commands, we do away with a ton of the abuses that we see right now. And so if we recover the third commandment, we recover bearing the name of Yahweh well in our society and we avoid the carnality of the rest of the world. Right? You you see today what many have referred to as carnal Christians, which is, you know, they, they do all types of, you know, things where uh you know they 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 claim the name of Christian but they're very carnal like the world and some people even push this to the extreme and they they call it you know uh, being on mission and contextualizing in a way that reaches people and so they end up doing things to try to reach certain people groups if we recover the third commandment we're going to avoid carnality like that and we're going to take bearing the name of Yahweh well and so most, you know, most people have always heard the third commandment You shall not bear the Lord's name in vain And most of us hear that as a speech command And, and it definitely does touch on speech But it's not primarily just a speech command It does talk, touch on speech And we shouldn't use Yahweh's name in vain By saying curse words that use His name as a curse We, we certainly shouldn't do that But it's more than that Bearing the name of Yahweh Means representing Him well Right, like that, that he has put so in, in, in Exodus we, we see it and not only in Exodus but throughout the entirety of the Bible, that Yahweh puts his name on his people. Right? Like the book of Revelation ends in front of the you know, the tree of life again in the garden paradise. And you've got the angels come, come back down. You've got the city of, of God has come back down to the earth. The angels and men are dwelling together. And they're in front of the river of life, in front of the tree of life. And, and one of the things that it says in Revelation 21 and 22, I think it's Revelation 22, is that um, they have the name of Yahweh written on their foreheads. So Yahweh puts his name on his people. And so we're called to bear that name well, to represent it well. And so whenever we recover the third commandment, we take that seriously because we realize that we're not just, um, we we realize that we're doing more than just, how how would I say this? We realize that there's more at stake than just our reputation. Yahweh's name is also uh, at stake in the way that we Behave. And so we take that seriously. So if we recover the fourth commandment, uh, we recover creatureliness and rest, and we avoid the burnout culture and the exhaustion that is so frequent in our world today. Right? I mean, think about the world that we live in. I just preached a sermon this past weekend on the fourth commandment because we're doing a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. And the fourth commandment's the Sabbath command. You know, one of the things that we've done in our culture is we have just thrown away boundaries, right? I mean, we live in a world where nothing turns off anymore, nothing closes anymore, right? So we've done away with those those boundaries, and now, and, and like you can even work from home, and you can work as much as you want, and like you you never have to go home. Like you can literally work yourself to death, and. We're seeing the result of that now. We're we're seeing what happens whenever we do away with boundaries and, and things like rest. Uh, we see people burn out, right? and you see that even in the church. Pastors burn out all the time. I I had last year. I had a bout or a about with burnout myself, and one of the reasons why was because I wasn't working well. I was working in, in weird weird and odd times. Uh, you know, we had just our our daughter was still a a newborn, and so you know I was working at odd times and in strange ways and strange patterns, and it called up to me. And so one of the things that I learned after that was that God takes the Sabbath seriously. He commands His people to observe the Sabbath, and that I ought to take that seriously as well. And so um, observing the Sabbath can can definitely help in our ailing. Uh, burnout culture today and so if we recover the fifth commandment we recover honoring our parents right and and caring for our, our parents and we also avoid groups like black lives matter who exist to disrupt the family unit i'm not sure if you're aware if you've checked into this but actually black lives matter i, I saw this here recently someone shared it on social media um but someone uh, shared the About page from uh, Black Lives Matter's website. They're, that's trademarked, by the way. They, they are an official trademarked group. Um, and one of the things that, that kind of caught me by surprise was that they were very explicit in what they existed to do. Uh, like, it's right there in their About section on their website. You can go and check it out for yourself. But they said that they exist to disrupt uh, traditional... The traditional family unit. Um, so in other words, they're, they're there to uh, do away with what they call the patriarchy, right? Like uh, it actually, if I'm not mistaken, their about page actually mentions the patriarchy and, you know, that kind of thing as well. But basically what they exist to do is to, to tear apart the local, uh, the, the family, uh, you know, the father and the mother and and, you know, they're they're huge LGBTQ advocates and, and that kind of thing and so but if we take the fifth commandment seriously as Christians, we're not gonna be duped by things like Black Lives Matter and their mission to disrupt the family. Right? Because we're gonna take recovering or we're gonna take honoring our parents and caring for them. Well, we're going to take that seriously. And so that's, yeah, that's my thing on the first, the fifth commandment. And so if we recover the sixth commandment, right, we recover the sacredness of children in the womb, and we avoid things like abortion, right? Sixth commandment is thou shalt not murder. And if we recover that, and, and we immediately recover the sacredness of not just children, but of all, all people who are created in the image of God, and we're going to avoid things like, like that. And so if we recover the seventh commandment, We we recover the sacredness of marriage, right? And this is you shall not commit adultery. And we end up avoiding things like literal adultery, but also even other things, for example, like pornography, which is now common, like all across our culture. If we recover the Eighth Commandment, we're going to recover things like private property, uh, and we're going to avoid things like socialism— And also Marxism, which are predicated upon theft, right, where you take private property from owners and then you have communal uh, properties that belong to everyone. If we recover the ninth commandment, we're going to avoid things like woke theology and critical race theory, which wants to categorize everyone into the categories of oppressed and oppressor, right? Like I, if you Google critical race theory, it's going to bring up for you on Google a kind of like a diagram, and it's going to show you that critical race theory basically views the world through this lens, where there are two types of people: there are oppressed and there are oppressors. And some of the uh, if you if you Google it here. Uh, that or intersectionality, um, you are going to see that it, it, it categorizes the world in this way, and so the not the this commandment here that we're wanting to recover the ninth commandment is not going to allow us to do this because here is why: not everyone is oppressed, and not everyone is an oppressor. Right? I mean, let's let's think about it. The, the, are there oppressed people in the world? Yes. Are there oppressors in the world? Yes. Is Are the categories of oppressed and oppressor biblical categories? Absolutely they are. I mean, let's think about it for a moment, right? In Egypt, Israel was oppressed by their oppressor, Egypt. Right? Those are biblical categories. There really are oppressed and oppressors in the world. But here's the deal. Not everyone in the world is oppressed. Not everyone in the world is an oppressor. And therefore, to view the world through the lens of woke theology, critical race theory, intersectionality, that's categorizing in the, wor- the world um, and people in a way that is false. Right? We are assigning labels and categories to our neighbors, which aren't loving, and we're, we're assigning to them categories and labels that aren't true.? Right? Whenever you la- you label someone an oppressor, who isn't really an oppressor, you're bearing false witness against them. Whenever you call someone oppressed who isn't really oppressed, you're bearing false witness against them. So, recovering the ninth commandment is, is very important. And if we, lastly, if we recover the tenth commandment, which is you shall not covet, we recover things like contentment with the things that we have. I mean, who doesn't need more contentment in our age? Right? So that's our, uh, that's our third point, which is recovering the law of God and the Ten Commandments as the ethical standard for all of life. Now, the fourth thing that we can do to live as more traditional Christians is to begin observing prayer offices and the spiritual disciplines. Now, this is something that I, I began taking seriously, really taking seriously a year ago. And again, it, it it comes kind of as a result of my season from my season of burnout. But uh, last year, I became introduced to what was called the daily or the prayer office. Um, I was introduced to it through uh, by a book called Emotional. Let's see, what was it called? Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, that's the book by Pete Skizero, and uh, he talks about what's called the daily office, and basically. What the daily office is, or the prayer office is, is if you're unaware, it's this rhythm of prayer that happens throughout the day. And it it usually happens four times a day. Um, So you've got morning prayer, you have midday prayer, you have evening prayer, and then you have late evening prayer, which is also called Compline. Um, And so what you do in the prayer office is you have this rhythm of prayer throughout the day. And so, for example, this is how it works for me. Whenever, whenever I get up in the morning, I do uh, morning prayer. It's the first thing I do. Um, I get up, and I, I have an app on my phone, which is the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. I'm not an Anglican. But um, I, they have a, uh, the prayer office in the Book of Common Prayer, and I find it very helpful and very useful. And so I just click on my daily prayer app, and then I do that four times a day. And so I'll do it again about noon. So I'll, I'll, I'll wake up in the morning, I'll do morning prayer, and then I'll start, you know, I'll have breakfast with my family, and then we'll get to work on whatever we need to get to for the day. And then at noon, I'll stop for a moment, you know, maybe five minutes or so, ten minutes, and I'll do midday prayer. And then usually, again, at five o'clock in the evening, I'll do evening prayer. And then usually, before we right before we go to bed, we'll do late evening or Compline. And so that's kind of how I've been using that as well. And there are various apps that you can download on your phone that you don't have to use the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, There are various prayer apps that you could do uh, daily. I mean, you don't have to do that. I mean, you could do something as simple as the Lord's Prayer four times a day during those times. I mean, that's a way that you could start with it. But I found that to be uh, an important rhythm for me, and it's it's an ancient rhythm that goes back for for centuries. And so another thing, too, is is observing the spiritual disciplines. Um, In my life during that season that I was in, uh, I found that I was really struggling and lacking in the spiritual discipline department. And uh, since then, some of of the, the disciplines that I've found that really work for me that are also very ancient is things like biblical meditation. Uh, some traditions call it mental prayer. I know that Catholics call it mental prayer. But um, biblical meditation is uh, is exactly that. Now, you may hear that and you, you may go, ooh, meditation, right? Well, it's very different from probably the meditation you're thinking of. It's very different from Eastern meditation. Uh, Biblical meditation differs from Eastern meditation in this way. In Eastern meditation, like Buddhist meditation, what the goal is is to empty the mind, right? You're trying to become clear, uh, so you're going to empty the mind. In biblical meditation, it's the exact opposite. So with biblical meditation, we're going to fill our mind, and we're going to fill it with the Word of God. And so one of the—there's a couple ways that you could do it. I've tried it a couple different ways. One of the things that I've, I've done is I've, you can meditate on the promises of God. So you can open up your Bible for the, for the day uh, right as you do your prayer office in the morning or whenever it is that you do it. And uh, in the verse that you're reading, you're, you're looking for a promise, right? And so you can take that if you find a promise there, and then you can meditate on it. You can think about what that means for you. That's one way that you can meditate on the Word. Another, another way that you can meditate on it, is, uh, then this is one of the ways that I do, is I like to read through the Gospels. And one of the things that I'll do is I will meditate the thing that, or I will meditate upon and think about and imagine the thing that I am uh, reading about. So if I'm, for example, I was reading the Gospel of Mark uh, here here recently, and, um, you know, it opens up with Jesus, you know, healing people and you know that, a lot of that kind of stuff. And so one of the things that I would do uh, in my morning readings was, was I would imagine that scene in my mind. And now I don't usually I don't make myself the, the prime character of the story, right? I'm not gonna narcisgeep myself into, into a text, but what I'll do is I'll, I'll almost make myself kind of like a bystander who's there watching uh, that thing happen in the text. And I, I found that that's been a powerful way for me to keep God's word uh, central in my mind throughout the day. It kind of lingers for a while whenever you have that mental image of it, that mental, uh, you know, you've meditated on it, and um, it, it lingers with you. And and uh, it's a it's a good way almost to almost memorize it as well. Um, that's been pretty helpful for me in, in memorizing various parts of. Mark's gospel because I've been meditating on it for, for a while. And so that's uh, one of the spiritual disciplines that works for me that you could put to practice. And, and some of the others are fasting and, and feasting, right? And, and I think these are really, really relevant in our culture today because we live in a culture of just constant feasting, right? Like the, you can literally eat whatever you want. You can eat as much as you want. And, uh, you know, throughout the history of the church, that's not that's not how things were. Uh, you know, if you look back throughout, uh, you know, certain times in the church calendar and 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 things like that, there are were uh, fast days and then there were feast days. Like one of the historic rhythms of the churches is that on Friday. Uh, that was a uh, you you avoided meat on on Friday, so you had a meatless Friday, and. Um, You know, one of the reasons why is Jesus gives his flesh on Friday, so we give up flesh on Friday. And so, and then you you pick it back up, you know, on Sunday. Uh, And so, but here's one of the things that I found with fasting and feasting, is whenever you go for a period when you you fast, uh, it makes feasting that much more special, right? Like it makes, almost makes like the food taste better or something. I I don't know how to explain it, but... um, Moderation is definitely a good thing, and uh, it's definitely a, a good spiritual discipline to forego, say, the normal things that you're, you're partaking of, to use that time to focus on, on Christ, and, uh, and then you get to celebrate again by feasting. And so that's uh, definitely a good spiritual discipline. I'll tell you another one that's become really big for me, and I started it uh, last year, is journaling. Journaling has become huge for me, and here's why: it helps us to vent the affections. Uh, and so Christians have been journaling and writing for centuries, right? Like you have Saint Augustine's Confessions. Uh, you you there's just so many works throughout history. Uh, I mean, you you've got Richard Baxter's. I'm looking at right here, the Saints' Everlasting Rest, which was basically basically devotionals where he talks about the concept of uh, you know the saints everlasting rest and biblical meditation and, and resting in what uh, what lies ahead for the saints, that everlasting rest that we will one day enter into. Uh, meditating upon that and and, and contemplating that. And those were devotionals from Richard Baxter. That's what they they came from. And so Christians have been writing for centuries, and it's one of the ways, again, that we help vent the affections and and the passions and the emotions and that kind of thing. And it's it's been that for me. It's been huge. And I'll tell you one of the things that I've done with it as well is at the end of every year, so I try to write daily. I'll write. Basically what I'll write is I usually do it at the end of the day, And I'll just kind of reflect on the day, how the day went, maybe some things that um, were good, and then maybe some things that were bad. Um, And maybe maybe I'll write about how uh, I can improve on that, or maybe a growth area, or somewhere that I can repent, uh, something like that. Um, So I'll do that daily. And then at the end of the year, what I'll do is I will go through that entire journal, Right, right right as it's, you know, the time for the new year. And I'll just start highlighting days where things kind of stood out to me. Maybe I'll see just a kind of a, a theme across a month or so. And so I'll highlight that. And so sometimes that'll give me growth areas for the coming year. I'll be like, oh, wow, for a large part of this year or last year, I struggled with this. So this year I want to be on the lookout for this. Um, also, I'll, I'll, it gives you an opportunity also to look back and to see where the Lord was at work in your life. Um, you can see, wow, last year during these months I struggled with this. And then I can see here I have a written record of where the Lord intervened. And there was growth and, and there was repentance in this area. So journaling is a great spiritual discipline. It's one that that really has become very special to me. And it's again, it's a very ancient one as well so the, the next uh, way that we can live as a traditional Christian is by recovering the rhythm of the church calendar. Now, this one has been fun. This one has been huge for my family and I. Um, and the, so this, the church calendar, now basically what I'm talking about here are seasons such as Advent and Christmas, Epiphany, Lent and Easter, Pentecost and, and then ordinary time. These are the traditional seasons and rhythms of the church. Uh, the church has, if you if you look back throughout the history of the church, they have been celebrating for centuries the seasons of Advent and Christmas, right? Advent is a season where you're looking forward to the birth of Jesus, right? It's that you celebrate it the entire month of of December. And, you know, every, every uh, Advent Sunday you light a candle. Um, and then it culminates on Christmas with the birth of Jesus, right? And, uh, you know, then you've got Lent and, and Easter, where Lent is a, a penitential season, a season of repentance, where uh, it, it mirrors Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, right, where he was fasting. And Lent is a 40-day season where we fast from things in the world as well. Um, and then it culminates on, on Easter uh, with, resu- with Jesus' resurrection. And then you've got the season of Pentecost after that. And then you've got ordinary time. And so, But recovering the church calendar, here's why I think it's important. Recovering the church calendar not only links us back to traditional Christianity, which it, which it does that, but it also helps us to reimagine time around the person and the work of Jesus. Right, this is the reason why why Christians have been doing this for centuries because it helps them to be Christ-centered in regards to how they tell time, right? And and how they look at the seasons. And another great thing about the church calendar is is it it becomes a tradition for the entire family. And so for us, we've been celebrating this now oh, for about 3 years now three or maybe four years, uh, we just started off small with Advent uh, a few years ago. And then after that, it just kind of, it went on into the other seasons as well. But, you know, it, it becomes a tradition for the entire family and it becomes something that's very fun. And so, for example, one of the things that we do every year now is we do the, you know, during Advent, we do the Advent wreath. right? Where you've got the the purple candles and then you've got the one, uh, you know, pink candle. And, you know, every every uh lord's day in the advent season we light one of the candles it's just a fun tradition that we do and then my wife likes to decorate in purple for that season and it's the same thing with you know with Lent and easter you know you decorate and in the colors and then you know easter you decorate in white and gold and you know pentecost you you decorate in red and it's just it's very fun and you know there's feast days that you can celebrate during those days and it's just a good time, and it's uh, it can become a, a really fun tradition for the family that gets everybody involved, and, and so I would definitely recommend that as, as well. Uh, the last thing that we'll talk about in this episode, I'm trying to keep this one under an hour, especially since I don't have a guest on this episode and it's just me. Uh, the last thing that I'll talk about here is be careful about what you read. Right, Be careful about what you read, right? Uh, more, you should be reading more older stuff and less newer stuff. Like, and I'm talking mostly. Like, I'm I'm kind of leery. I heard I heard uh, Taylor Marshall, who's a Roman Catholic. Uh, I was listening to him a while back, and I heard him say that he was leery of anything pre 1960. Or, or post 1960, and I, I kind of agree with that. That's uh, that's about where I'm at on this. Anything pre 1960, preferably. Now, there's there's obviously some exceptions to the rules. Um, for example, I would say that some of the exceptions to that rule is is people like Doug Wilson, uh, Peter Lightheart, Jim Jordan, uh, my friend Mike Bull that I had on episode one of uh, the Kingdom of the Power, Mike Heiser. There's a few. There's uh, there's several several people who are exceptions to this rule, who are good, modern-day thinkers, who are also traditional Christians. Those people that I just mentioned are. And then you've also got folks who, who you know died uh, in this kind of modern era, and I'm thinking of people like C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, those are people that you sh- definitely should be reading as well, who are great uh, traditional Christians. Um, so be careful about what you read. Right, uh, it's hard to become infected with the poison of modernism if you don't spend much time where it dwells, and so that's one of the things that I've tried to incorporate into my own life as well is is spending most of my time in older things. Um, I've tried to actually, I've, I've here recently, I've purged a lot of my personal library of just novel modern things that just have no continuity at all with church history. I'm just not interested in those things anymore. I'm more interested today and now in my walk with with the things of, uh, of the faith, things that have traditionally been Christian. Those are the things that I'm interested in. I mean, it's interested in the creeds and the confessions and the church fathers and Uh, You know the historic, the traditional historic writings of the church. Those are the things that I'm interested in. Those are the things that you should be interested in as well. That's that is. uh, We have to keep in mind this: that Christianity is no modern thing, right? It certainly exists in the modern age. We're, We're Christians in a modern age, but this thing is ancient, right? And it's, um, it is the height of. Um, pride to think that God wasn't at work and the Spirit wasn't at work in the saints of old, right? And that He had nothing to 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 teach those people that we can't learn from today. All right, I think that's the height of foolishness and the height of pride to to think as though that only modern writers, uh, modern theologians, uh, like like the people who uh, who are woke today, um, like that they have some truth that uh, is some new truth that we have to, uh, that we can only get from them, right? I I think that that's foolishness. I think that that's ridiculous. Um, And actually, I think that usually what happens whenever we think that way um, and that we ignore the ancient faith that we have and that we only swim in the waters of modernism as we end up becoming infected by it. And I see it more and more. Um, I see it with people who I consider friends. Um, I see it with people who have been co-laborers in the faith. Uh, it's just, it's kind of, it's shocking in some ways. And, um, you know, maybe we'll do an episode at some point talking about that a little bit more, but you know I think that one of the reasons why this thing is happening is because we have disregarded the the traditional Christian faith and that we're only we have become so swept up just in this secular age in which we lived in and the things of this age and you know that's where we spend our, our time and so as I said, it's hard to become infected by the poison of modernism modernism if you don't spend much time where it dwells and so. So anyway, guys, uh, I hope this episode was helpful. I know it was a shorter episode. I know that I didn't have a guest on on this episode. But I uh, have some great guests lined up for the next few episodes here coming in the future. So be on the lookout for that. I'm really looking forward to recording those. And I hope that this episode, this solo episode, can hold you over until then. And I hope that it was helpful. If you have any questions, um, comments, anything like that, Feel free to reach out to me. You can you can find, uh, find me at the Kingdom and the Power on Facebook. It's just Facebook slash the Kingdom and the Power. Um, also on uh, Instagram at the Kingdom and the Power. And also you can reach me at the Kingdom and the power at gmail.com. You can send any questions or comments or anything like that uh, there in those places. Also, give this podcast, if you would, a review. Uh, The more you review this podcast, uh, the easier it becomes for people to find. And so leave us an honest five star review or whatever, however many stars that you would like. Uh, but yeah, please leave us a review. It definitely helps people uh, find us easier, helps get the message out. And so hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hope that it was helpful. Um, and also, uh, If you have any questions maybe on some of the resources that can set you in the right direction in terms of uh, traditional Christianity, send me an email at the Kingdom of the Power there as well. And so, all right, guys, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.